HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and today is Monday, September 6, 2021. We're back from our summer break. I hope you had a great one. This show will be broadcast on September 8th, and it is our 299th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning chef who's opening a new homestyle Indian restaurant in New York City's Seaport District this week and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to follow your dreams. Yes, let's all go after what we want, whether it's big or small, something personal or professional. If our hearts are in it, that's all that matters, as they are the ultimate end-all be-all. So let's listen to our inner voices and not stray away from our desires and goals, as dreams can and will come true. That's my tip today. Now, I'm super excited to have my guest joining me. It is Serbi Sani. She is the chef and owner of Tagmo, a new restaurant in Manhattan's Seaport District, featuring homestyle Indian cuisine and confections. With two decades of professional culinary experience, Serbi has made her mark as a talented pastry chef with handcrafted cakes and confections that preserve the essence of South Asian matai, or sweets. Before launching Tagmo, Serbi served as the creative force behind Michelin-starred New York City restaurants Devi and Tulsi, plus Sar Bistro, and she was the creative director and events director at Hamant Mather Catering. Without further ado, hi, Serbi. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. I'm so I'm so happy to be have you and talk to you and just so so 
our audience knows. Um, I do work with Serbi. I'm working on her PR for her fabulous new restaurant, Cagmo. Yes. So um, we know each other pretty well. But uh, I actually, as much as I feel I do know you, there's so much I don't know about you. So <laughs> let's yes, <dive> in. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, we've, we've known each other for uh, since the year 1999, because that's yes. when we had met. I know. Um, yeah. So it's I been know. a long time, a very long time. Years. It has, yes. has. And we had met at the at NYU Food Studies Program. So, um, yeah. Uh, but let's take let's go back a little bit before that, though. Take us back to your your childhood a little bit and uh, uh, what got you into food and cooking? I, I don't think I ever wanted to be a chef, if that was what the question means. Uh, <laughs> I, I think of growing up, I I mean, I was forced to kind of cook food because um, my mom wasn't well and it was it was more like a chore for me. Uh, having said that, it definitely um, made really good foundations of cooking for me because I started cooking when I was 12. Um, and not like every once in a while because I'm interested in making this dish, but more like I'm cooking on a fairly regular everyday basis. Um, and, you know, based, I wanted to be an artist like my dad and I applied to different art schools and uh, in India, art is super competitive. I couldn't get into an art school and my dad saw this hotel management course and said, you should apply for it. Like cooking is an art form. And I was saying, Hmm, maybe like I can consider it. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, I got into the hotel management school, um, which was one of, which is one of the best, uh, hotel management schools in India. And, um, then, sorry, where is this? What, what it's, uh, it's in, it's in Manipal, which is the South of India. And it's, a uh, it's a Sheraton, uh, the Sheraton chain, uh, has a school, hotel management school down in the South of India, in Karnataka. So I was there for three years. Um, and then I came back, um, to Delhi, got through some of, I didn't really sit through, we used to have something that we called as management training programs. Um, I didn't sit through any of the management training programs because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left college. But when I came back to Delhi, I, by that time, I pretty much made up my mind that I wanted to join the kitchens. So I uh, joined the kitchens uh, in in the Sheraton itself in Delhi. In fact, actually one of at the lowest ranks when many of my batchmates were in the management training programs and were probably a few levels up from me. Um, and, you know, just started from the ground level uh, and learned from the best. Worked in Delhi for about six and a half, seven years in different hotels and um, came to the U.S., um, got through three colleges. One was Cornell um, for business management in uh, in hotels, like it's hospitality. Uh, and uh, the second, of course, was NYU the food studies program. And the third was CIA, which is the Culinary Institute of America. And uh, I just didn't get my CIA 
like um acceptance letter to like got to the US and by the time I had you know started working in some of the kitchens here and met uh one of the first chefs that influenced some of the pastry work that I'm I ended up doing through the years uh Richard Postlet and he actually guided me and said don't go to a culinary school he said there's nothing that they they can teach you that you can't learn on your own and so i stayed at nyu and finished my food studies program and you know joined indian kitchens at uh, starting from tamrin and built my indian food career from there on that's the short end of the story <laughs> Yeah, no, I know, I know you. I mean, but take us, take us through a little of of your experiences working with, because you, I mean, with Debbie <coughs> and uh, you know, very imp- impressive restaurants in New York City. And and what what was it like being in the states compared to being in India and and working in kitchens there? Because I've never been to India. It's been on my list. It's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a very different experience. I mean, like uh, working in India was amazing. Well, my first job was amazing because I was in an all women's kitchen. Uh, and that's what I would say for sure has sparked this idea of having a women-based company, which Tagmo in, in a big way is. Um, and I feel like one of the most memorable jobs that I had, uh, both of my chefs were women. And mind you, in when I started working in India in the year 1999, there were maybe a close, maybe 10, maybe 12 women chefs in the entire Delhi. There were not that many. Um, and we were so, we all kind of knew each other. I mostly knew all of them because I worked in every one of the chains that was there. And, uh, you know, of course we kind of grew from there and I worked in India f- after that as well, for about five years after that first job. Um, I would say the difference between the U.S. and India for sure is just the mindset is different. Um, I moved from India because I felt like I wanted to learn more and I wanted to grow and I wanted to explore my life and um, and see what was out there outside of India. Um, having said that, like I feel... When I look back at it, I feel like there were so many things had I stayed back in India, especially for Indian food that, you know, I could have learned had I stayed back that I had a tougher time learning because I was away here, like in the sense that I can't travel through different regions. So if I want to cook a dish from a particular part of the country, I really have to do a lot more research and a lot more work here. Um Unlike I could go, if I was in India, I can go, there There are restaurants that are specifically doing that cuisine or there are chefs that are like um, really good in that style of food that you can either hire or bring them on your team. Here, it's a little bit different where it's a lot of groundwork and homework that you have to do on your own. Um, but then working in India and here, I think as far as being a female chef, uh both countries have their share of misogyny. Uh, both countries have their share of, um, you know, difficulties for women chefs to kind of come up and do well in their careers. Um, you know, I feel like doesn't matter whether you are in India or in the U.S. You, uh, you definitely have you definitely have to work 
two or three times harder than in comparison to most other male chefs to prove that you're, if not as good, bet or better than them, you know, um, that definitely is similar. Um, but you know, in terms of like, um, cuisines, I would say once I came to the U S it really helped to open up my mind to the variety of cuisines that were out there in the world and how people were preparing them. Um, in India, we were just starting on our journey when I had left, uh, in terms of like bringing in global food. So Italian food had just sort of entered the market at that time. Uh, we, we had started exploring Mexican food. We had started seeing restaurants from other countries kind of pop up, but, um, when I came to the U S it was like a very quick run through to see, um, how, uh, different cuisines were also like just even to, in terms of food writing, uh, U S definitely at that time was ahead. I would say today India has a lot more variety or in terms of cuisines that are offered, uh, and it's pretty comparatively good to New York if, if. I wouldn't say it's equal because there are certain things that are very New York and there are certain things that are very Delhi or India, um, but they both are amazing in their own ways. Yes. So what led you to open, you first had Bittersweet um, and and focus more on confections. What would drew you more to the sweet side of things? And now you've, you've launched Tagmo, which... Um, I want to talk a lot more about because yeah, yeah. So, so I, I think like a lot of people don't know that I actually started as a savory chef, not as a pastry chef. I actually don't. I like to refer to myself just as a chef, um, but um, you know, because um, I feel like I had cooked a lot more savory food, and then I came to the U.S. and ended up doing a lot more desserts in Devi. And in Tulsi, but even when I was working in those restaurants, these are smaller restaurants and any chef that's kind of worked in smaller places knows that you have to be multitasking and doing everything. So I was, of course, doing desserts, but I was also doing a lot of savory work. Uh, so while I was at Devi, I started exploring this idea that I wanted to do wedding cakes because at some point my dad had said to me that, oh, if you're not going to be an artist, you can always make wedding cakes. I mean, which was kind of crazy because there were no wedding cakes in India then. I had never seen a wedding cake. I didn't know what the concept of this wedding cake is. Anyhow, long story short, I I, I met my then business partner, Natalie Pinto, and uh, we were having, uh, we were working on an event together and I mentioned to her, that that's what I want to do. She's like, well, then just do it. I was like, what do you mean? She's, I was like, I don't have any money to invest. And I still remember we started the company with $900. That was her investment in the company. And uh, we did our first bridal show. Uh, and we had a really amazing 10-year run with the company almost. Because from 2008 to 2018 is when I actually closed the company down. And we did many things with the company. Like we, of course, did wedding cakes. We did desserts for um, parties. Uh, and then in between, we were also doing like smaller, um, we were doing truffles uh, that were more Indian flavors. 
And then I diverted at that time uh, because a client of mine asked me to do uh, Mitai for her uh, because she was about to she had she was about to have a baby and she wanted to send it as uh, a gift to all her relatives. So I ended up making like maybe a hundred boxes or something like that. Nothing crazy, and that's really started the sweets line that. I continued on for the years afterwards, which was about five to six years after. And um, at some point, I really started thinking like, I like the name Bittersweet, but I wanted to be, I wanted my company to be more than that because over the years, I also had assimilated a lot more women into my company. I also wanted the company to have um, a sort of an identity of itself. I I wanted to bring changes uh, itself um, uh, in terms of the branding and logo. And uh, I started talking to some of my friends. Uh, and Natalie didn't want to continue on with the online business. Um, so we closed out Bittersweet Company. And like sort of it's Tagmo is sort of a relaunch of Bittersweet, except like we let go of some of the aspects of bittersweet. Um, and we started really doing the Mitai, except like I really focused on the presentations, the flavors. Uh, I really have over the last, whatever, six to eight years that I was working on bittersweet and now on Tagmo, really thought through what sweets I make in the sense that each of the sweets, um, I feel like has some sort of a story to tell. It comes from either what I like or my aunts like or uh, what I've tried over the years as a pastry chef in different places or through inspiration, through other friends that I'm who are other pastry chefs that I've talked to. Um, and so I started like as I started accumulating these ideas, what I wanted to do uh, with Tagmo and I came up with the word Tagmo, of course, I started talking to a few of my friends um, and had them invest in the company because you can't do anything without money in this world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was very lucky to find friends that actually did invest in the company. And, um, you know, last year when, um, was it last year? It was last year when oh, I know, COVID hit. <laughs> when COVID hit, and like I was, um, I had just kind of done one short run of Tagmo the year before that in December, in October for Diwali. Um, I was really rethinking where am I going to go with the company? How do I want to build this? And I wanted to rebrand. And of course, COVID happened, and I was like, oh my God, now what are we going to do? Um, so, you know, as I said, like I'd been doing savory food for a very long time. And of course I've cooked at home forever. Um, and I've cooked with, uh, with Hamant for a very, very long time now. And, you know, been doing catering with him and like making new menus. So I was like, well, why don't I utilize my sort of skills and my team's skills and I know at that time, the biggest need was to provide food to the healthcare workers. And that's what we started doing initially. Uh, and uh, pretty quickly, like, um, as a group, we decided, let's try and send some, let's try and send, it was really just like, a, just just a phone call with, with uh, Aditya, who's one of the investors in the company, who said, uh, I said, why don't we try and... Um, 
send this to our clients and see if anyone might be interested in home cooking. Uh, and Adi had anyways, a lot of interest in try, trying to do home cooking um, uh, for New York City. So uh, we sent out our first newsletter and we had 40 clients was our first delivery, wow. which was pretty incredible, right? Mm-hmm. Like considering we were only, I mean, of course, Bittersweet had its own clientele following, but um, when we started Tagmo, you know, we only had, I think we had hundred people on our Instagram and like, you know, we had, we had, we were only a year old as a company. We were, we were a small company still. So it was pretty amazing. And then uh, I think uh, we had a 65 weeks run after that, where we were changing menus on a weekly basis where we were doing different kinds of lentils, different kinds of vegetables, different kinds of meats. And each week we were focusing on different things. We were either focusing on a region of the country. We were either uh, focusing on a style of cooking or um, sometimes we were focusing on a festival. And it was such an amazing journey to cook through and um, so many different styles and to like kind of see, I mean, of course in restaurants I have, been cooking for so many years and I've seen the diversity of food that is part of India, but to like kind of change it on a weekly basis, I have to say was challenging, but also really exciting to come up with something new regularly and to talk about, also to talk about my relationships with, with food itself, um, how I am, where I have come to, to actually like be able to open up my story has been quite a thrilling journey for me. And now, of course, um, we're at a point where I have have two more business partners, Victor and Renee, that have joined with us. And we are um, uh, opening a storefront um, at South Street Seaport where we are taking both of the concepts that we've worked so hard on in the company and one being the sweets. So we have a sweets front and the second being the homestyle cooking. So we're doing small plates with homestyle food. Amazing. So when did the idea for, to have a restaurant come into play? Was that something that was like born with uh, last year with the pandemic, once you were doing the savory food or, and, and tell talk a little bit about the name Tagmo and the inspiration behind that. Uh, I think the restaurant concept kind of came through because we were starting to look for larger kitchen spaces. And at that time, Aditya introduced me to Victor and Rene. This was last year's, I would believe, September, now a year back. And they had a space, which is now the Tagmo space. Uh, and they said that they'd like for me to come. They, we, had a, we had a meeting and they liked the concept that I wanted to do. Uh, And South Street Seaport, as we know, doesn't have any Indian food uh, in the neighborhood. And so um, that's when the the idea had really started uh, to kind of bring it together. And of course, it's been a long one year back and forth in terms of construction with the buildings department and the challenges. And uh, now we have, of course, the company ready Um, and not. I mean, not the company, I mean, the storefront ready. And of course, your question about the word Tagmo, um, 
So about three and a half years back, as I was deciding what to call the company, I remember then uh, my my dear friend and uh, Elizabeth Everett's, um, who was also doing social media for me at that time, she and I like kind of, you know, name, name choosing is so important and such a difficult exercise in terms of branding because it really um, not just sets you apart. It It should be something that talks about the value about who you are and about your company and what you stand for. And so there was a lot of back and forth going. And I I happened to have a, d- a dream uh, where I had a tigress that came into my dream where, you know, uh, I'll try and keep it short, but um, she, she came into my dream. I was in a forest with my daughter and um, I felt like she was going to attack me and my daughter, but actually she wasn't. Um, long story short, by the time the dream kind of ends, um, she's in my lap and I'm petting her as I wake up. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a little superstitious sometimes. And I kind of looked it up online. What does dreaming of a tigress mean? What does um, petting a tigress mean? And like all of that seemed very much cohesive in terms of like, you have several challenges ahead of you. You're, you are, you are seeing the, the, um, the problems that are coming ahead of you, but fear not, you will conquer them and things will be okay. And so for me, that was pretty powerful. Um, and I felt like it really resonated with what I wanted to do. And I kind of told Elizabeth, I said, doesn't matter what the name of the company is going to be, associated with a tigress and then we started looking for names and we found that in Hindi tigress not found I mean I knew in Hindi tigress means bargain but I thought like bargain if we call it bargain people would turn it into bargain bargain and I started looking for other South Asian uh, uh, names and I came upon tagmo um, in Bhutanese and it kind of stuck with me and I kind of actually did sit with that name for for a good six to eight months before I finalized it. I also found a story about um, a female um, uh, monk who had a mentor and uh, they meditated together and at one point became had the same kind of superpowers and uh, the the mentor needed to go and put set up a temple and she turned herself into a tigress and they flew across um, and got on top of a mountain. And um, there's now a temple there. Uh, and as you enter the temple, um, there is a, there's a, we call it a murti, I guess you can call it a sculpture uh, of a tigress and her mentor. And that area is called Tagmo. And I felt like it's been such an amazing journey for me. Like, I feel like Heyman's been a big part of it, of course, but also in terms of just, um, it really resonated the idea of female power and what, um, what, what I have done over the years. So I thought Tagmo was the appropriate name and then it became Tagmo. Ah, it's awesome. It's wonderful stories behind it. Yeah. So what can people expect now? You're opening Tagmo, the restaurant, this week, which is so exciting. 
What can people expect on, on the menu to find? What are some of your, so I, I, I hate saying your favorite dishes because you're probably going to say they're all, I love all my children. <laughs> I am going to say that. <laughs> but uh, what, are, what are some highlights or, or people? I know, I know you're, it's a uh, vegetable forward a lot of yes. selections. Yes. So we, I've tried to keep it very, um, I've, I've tried to keep it very much like how I would, uh, my menu is designed around the idea. If I had friends coming over, what would I make for them? Uh, and the, the concept is to run around creating a space for people that are coming to dine to feel like they could be sitting in their home or anyone's home and having this food. Um, so some of the dishes, like for example, instead of going the very sort of restaurant route, uh, like one of the dishes that I've come up with is, is a chickpea sort of a chaat, uh, which uh, generally has a tamarind or uh, mint chutney. We've come up with the concept of uh, tossing this in a devil's chutney, which is an Anglo-Indian chutney made with raisins, um, uh, onions, and whole red chilies. Uh, and also in the salad is mangoes and jicama and um, just the flavor and mint and, and lime and the flavor profiles of it comes together so beautifully. We're doing something that we call as cheesy bread rolls. Uh, it's a const- uh, I grew up reading bread rolls in my life. It's just basically crispy bread that is stuffed generally with potatoes. But instead of potatoes, I'm doing... Um, paneer and some cheddar cheese that just melts beautifully and it comes with uh, a hot and sweet sweet uh, tomato sauce. Um, and then I'm also doing uh, a dish that we call as a sabudana vada, which is a tapioca fritter, um, which is very popular in Bombay. And it's like a, it's a snack that people eat throughout the day whenever they want to have chai or coffee, they'll just kind of make something with it. And sabudana vada is also like a big fasting food because it's vegan and it's gluten-free. So it's just tapioca and potatoes and uh, some peanuts in there and comes with a peanut mint chutney. Uh, We're doing um, some eggplant in a tamarind and fennel, fennel, um, in a tamarind and fennel sauce. We're doing um, gushtaba, which is a Kashmiri dish, which is um, lamb, like minced lamb balls in a yogurt um, sort of a sauce. So a lot of the dishes, the dishes I've baked, I don't think you'll find them in most restaurants. Yes, they sound, I mean, no, they sound very, I mean, they're original and um, I've just got so hungry listening to you. (laughs) Um, And you also have the sweets available. Yes. Um, Yeah. The sweets are going to be available up front. We're going to have a, a, a few, we're going to have a selection of sweets. We're also hoping to partner with different companies. Like for example, right now we have some of the spices from Burlap and Barrel that will be available to buy. It'll be like a little marketplace in the front and we're hoping we can have some kind of teas. So if you come in and you want to like make a beautiful gift bag and take it home, you can. We'll also have something that we call as namkeen, which is these salty snacks that we eat in India that will be part of um, the things that we will be selling there. Wow, amazing. And you're down on Front Street, which is such a beautiful cobblestone 
Yes. Zurich Street. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Exciting. Yes. 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 Really Thank you. Life. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Forward. Okay. So before we take a break, I have two questions from my, my last yeah. episode on uh, my guests on episode 298. I had on Mark Iacono, the owner of Lucali and Baby Luke's in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, and Billy Durney, the owner of Hometown Barbecue and Red Hook Tavern in Red Hook, Brooklyn. They both also have uh, locations in Miami. Uh, just, um, they're friends. And so I guess it's kind of a coincidence that they both have that. Okay, so two questions. First, from Billy. Being a very specific cuisine style, like he has himself, with now living in New York, have you picked up on any of the multi-ethnic and multi-cultural influences to put into your cuisine now? I would say that I would flip it around and say that I have done what I feel is, is that there are many influences that uh and cuisines that have influenced indian food and so the way india eats today is very different from how it has been represented over the years so having dishes from the anglo-indian community having dishes from uh bengali community having dishes that are uh, sort of jewish those are sort of my more pivotal points because i want to represent what not just um uh, you know what of course what Americans are eating here but also what Indians are eating in India like for example one of the dishes that we're doing is a shrimp dish um, which is a crispy shrimp um, kind of like a tempura but it is actually South Indian with curry leaves and garlic and we are serving it with a green tomato chutney like that is something that people don't know how much green tomatoes are also a part of Indian food so I've tried to do things um, that are authentically very Indian and very connected to how um, we would be eating in India. And certainly, of course, like I've cooked it in America for so long and so it has influenced my food, but more of my inclination is towards um, how, how, I would, how I'm eating at home also in a big way. Awesome. Okay, second question is from Mark. He wants to know, will you be cooking authentic Indian food? And if not, why? Or if not, why not? We got into a bit of discussion. He said how when he talks to many friends and locals when they go to restaurants um, and they say they're authentic Indian and then they're really, when it comes down to it, maybe not as authentic as they say they are. So um, that's the question. <laughs> I'm definitely doing very authentic Indian. There's one or two things that are slightly different. Uh, but the question always becomes is what is authentic Indian kind of, it's like questioning what is authentic American at this point, right? Like what is authentic American food? Is it French food? Is it Mexican food? Is it Chinese food? Is it uh, at this point <laughs> with the popularity of Indian food? Is it Indian food? Is it, is it, um, you know, Japanese food? Like everything that has come to America has become, has been assimilated in, in the culture of America and can be recognized in some ways as American food. So for me, authentic Indian has a very different value system. For me, authentic Indian is what I am eating at my home, whether it is in US or it is in India. And so the definition is very different. But I would say 
for me um for example if i am saying that i am doing uh, a dish which is one of the dish that i'm doing is called chok bangan which is the eggplant dish in a tamarind fennel and and um ginger sort of a sauce then i'm going to make it authentically where the sauce is going to be exactly how it needs to be the eggplant is going to be exactly how it needs to be and the same goes for other dishes as well is to keep the dishes as clear cl- close as possible to how they would taste if you were to eat it in someone else's home amazing they also both did i answer the question i hope did. i did I think you sold it you sold it. i mean at least for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, they both wish you the best. They're excited to come eat there. And we also talked a bit about a a collab between doing some barbecue calzones and Indian food. Oh, yum. That sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah. It would be fun to do. And uh, so we'll see if we can set that up down the road. And on that note, let's take a little break. Uh, We'll come back and we'll have my speed round game. We'll talk some industry news. I have a solo dining experience this week. And the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, makers of specialty cheese from Switzerland, crafted with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere in the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmiusa.com. That's E-M-M-I-U-S-A.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Serbi Sani. She's the chef and owner of Tagmo, a new restaurant in New York City's Seaport District, featuring homestyle Indian cuisine and confections. So, Serbi, it's time for my speed round game. What this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You okay. Ready? ready. All right. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? At home. I'm boring. <laughs> so good. Uh, <laughs> indoor dining or alfresco dining? Uh, alfresco dining. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Scotch. Oh, I, <laughs> I think that's a fun- <laughs> 299 episodes, and that's a first. I love it. Sorry. How <laughs> uh, about um, tasting menu or a la carte? Uh, that's a tough one. I like to get everything that's on the menu, so I love the idea of small plates. Yeah. Uh, well, that's my next one is small plates or large plates. Small plates. Got it. How about communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? I would like all-inclusive charge. It's a tough one, but 
I'm still trying to figure out if I can do it and how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah. How about chai tea or mango lassi? Chai tea only made by me. Oh, then I want. No, actually, actually, also like, also, also on the streets in India for sure. Okay. Yeah. A couple more cooking savory food or making sweets. I'm not not making that choice. I'm not. (laughs) I enjoy both. I'll give that to you. I'll give it to you. Um, Cheese plate or dessert? Ooh. I think dessert. I'm not a cheese person. Okay. And the last one's Manhattan or Brooklyn? Queens. Or Queens. Yes. I'm very, <laughs> very biased in my, in my life. <laughs> I live in where Heritage Radio lives. Come on. Yes. You have to say Queens. How can you Queens. just like, that seems a little prejudiced. All right. Queens wins. Wins this round. Awesome. And that's the game. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, okay. So for industry news, uh, I picked out an article that was on Eater New York last week. It's entitled, We're Getting Rid of Starred Restaurant Reviews at Eater by Ryan Sutton. And the title says it all there. Um, Ryan Sutton is Eater's restaurant reviewer in New York, and he wrote a long piece about it, uh, about why they decided they're going to stop giving star ratings. Um, It also dropped on the same day that he did uh, a review of uh, 11 Madison Park's new vegan menu, which was not such a glowing review. I don't, you know, don't know if it's that the, the timing of that I found interesting because I would guess based uh-huh. on the review it wouldn't have been a full uh-huh. star. Or, uh-huh. um, but what's your what's your take on this or or with stars in general for restaurants? I'm actually okay with it without having the having no star system. It's super prejudiced, anyways. You know, like it's one reviewer kind of reviewing and saying what restaurant is better or not, right? Um, it's also like, you know, different restaurants have different ambience, different um, style, different ideas. And so in terms of what their concepts are, and so kind of to put them in the same bracket in terms of star system is a little prejudiced. Um, and on a personal note, I feel it because I run an ethnic restaurant, right? And this is purely because out of that, I feel it's a little prejudice for someone that is not from my country to come and review me because they don't know. Yeah. I'm not completely convinced that they know, even if they have eaten, let's say if they've eaten in 20 other Indian restaurants, they still don't know what that dish is authentically supposed to taste like. And, you know, they have to know, like the person that is reviewing me has to know what they're talking about. And I, especially in terms of ethnic restaurants, I'm not that convinced that they do. So that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, Ryan pointed out in this piece, there's a, there's, he's not the first publication to get rid of stars. Many on the West coast have, um, New York mm-hmm. Magazine changed their system. To- I think Craig's Craig Magazine also stopped it a while back. Am I right? 
Um, which magazine? Craig. Um, I think so. I'm not remembering I'm it, not, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure. He was saying, he talked to other people. A lot of people dropped or stopped doing stars right now during the pandemic, including mm-hmm. Pete Wells at the New York Times. Um, my guess, though, is that the Times will come back with a star system because I think I think it's readers want it or need you know i think Mm -hmm. i I don't i don't see the new york times um going this route we'll we'll see what they decide to do i think i think people do like stars in the that it's a i hate to say it's like the easy answer to you know you don't have to read the article like what does the reviewer think oh two stars three stars but it's kind of hard to know exactly what that means what you know because sometimes like a two-star review is glowing and amazing and sometimes it's a little more harsh um but But also like sometimes you read a four-star or two-star review and you're like this sound doesn't sound like you had a really good time in there Mm -hmm. and like I'm like well why did you give this restaurant a two-star because like from what I'm reading it doesn't seem like you didn't like the food or you didn't like the service. And like, there's some very particular ones that, you know, or like sometimes they give two stars to certain places where I'm like, why, how this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the level of, um, yeah, exactly. Versus exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think I, I, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't have like a strong opinion of it. I think it is what it is. And it's, it's, um, as you don't think though, that these days people are doing more Yelp and Google reviews. I feel like not that many people are actually really going and looking at what has, what the rating has been of these restaurants. I think it's mixed. I think people, there aren't, I mean, when it comes down to New York City, there really aren't that many reviewers. I mean, there's Ryan Sutton, you have Adam Platt at New York Magazine and Pete Wells at the Times and, you know. That's it, yeah. New Yorker does some, you know, tables for two. and But there, you know, there aren't that many. Steve Cuso doesn't really review anymore. So I think some people do look, or it's like they have maybe, the, the person they've read all these years or they've trusted that they they're like go to, but you're right. Yeah. People get their um, information or from, from many different sources. Yeah, exactly. So, um, well, yeah, we'll see if you want to, if anyone wants to check it out, you could uh, go, go read the reasoning uh, eaters given to this and also read the EMP review. It's um, it's a, you know, it's, I haven't been there yet to the new vegan menu, but um he, he was a little critical of the new menu, but um, I think uh, it's uh, still such a special, special place. Um, and I hope to go at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this week for my solo dining experience, um, I went up to Maine. So it's my restaurant is Primo. And here's the rundown. The location, 2 Main Street, Rockland, Maine. The concept, it's the ultimate farm-to-table experience, a full-circle kitchen serving the freshest ingredients from its organic garden. The chef and owner is Melissa Kelly, and the pastry chef is Mel Laguerre. Why did I go? Well, I had met Melissa actually 
I look back, it was 2014 at the Penny Bunkport Festival. She was cooking. I was up there. Um, she was cooking with some chef friends. I was up there with Piche Ong and Justin Walker was one of the chefs. But we met then. And ever since ever since then, I've been wanting to go to her restaurant in Rockland, uh, which is about it's a little less than two hour drive from from Portland. Mm hmm. So, um, so my experience, so I took, I took a solo trip and what I did was I actually flew to Portland and then I rented a car and I drove out to Bar Harbor where I spent some time. And along the way I passed by Primo and that's, um, I went to dinner there. Um, I had an early dinner reservation for one. The team was really lovely. When I went in, um, there was a woman, uh, Jackie Chamberlain, who had worked at Star Chefs in New York and recognized my name. And um, so we, it was nice to see her and see that she was now up there uh, working working at Primo with Melissa. And um, I had a nice two-top upstairs. It was excellent service, really relaxing meal, though I have to say the place got very busy. It's, I think, really popular because I don't, I mean especially compared to New York City. I don't think there's that many choices of restaurants up there, but this is a very yeah. special restaurant. They After my meal, they have um, a beautiful garden in the back and greenhouses and a farm. And so I walked around and I saw little piglets and <laughs> it's really- That's it's very really, cute. Very cute. Yeah, yeah it's really a, a really special, um, beautiful place. So what did I get? Um, I started with the house-made bread with Sicilian olive oil. I got their farmer salad, which came with a bunch of lettuces, and uh, it had a lemon parmesan vinaigrette. It had house-made bacon and a backyard poached egg on top. Um, there was a little, like, mid-course they gave out of a, of a small lobster roll, which was delicious. Um, and then for my main, I got a seared tuna special that had cauliflower and greens and a, a nice uh, green dressing. and I also got dessert. I went for it. I got the house made strawberry shortcake because uh, uh, that's, you know, how I roll. <laughs> um, my take, it was all delicious. Everything was so fresh, everything from the garden. I mean, that was part of why I had to get dessert. I went with the strawberries, you know, summertime can't go wrong. Uh, the ambiance. So it's an elegant farmhouse dining room. It has a bunch of different rooms. There's a bar room, a counter room. Um, there's uh, it's dark woods and uh, darkish lighting. I'd say it's got a homey warmth to it. I'd say it's perfect for a dinner with friends or a date night or even going solo. Uh, interesting tidbit. So Primo opened in 2000, uh, said it had one chef and two cooks and one greenhouse and an acre of vegetables. And now they have a staff of 60 they have two greenhouses, over 200 laying chickens, 150 broiler chickens, five ducks, 15 pigs, and three acres of vegetables. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's really cool. Um, it's very special. Melissa Kelly is the 2013 and 1999 James Beard Foundation Award winner for Best Chef Northeast. Personal fun fact, so course, as a food restaurant person, I ate so many great places along this road trip. So I'm just going to shout out some of the restaurants. I was uh, Long Green, Eventide, the Honey Pow, Tandem Coffee Roasters, Chase's Deli, Tolunga, Forest Street. Uh, I had tons of lobster rolls and, and lobster in um, Thurston's and Sea Ray Lobster uh, were amazing. And also the ice cream in Maine is awesome. Uh, Mount Desert uh, 
Mount Desert Island and Wild Cow Creamery. I went to both of those. Um, so the cost of my meal at Primo was $79. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, their website is primorestaurant.com and Instagram at Primo Restaurant. Yeah, it's you would you would appreciate this place, I think, Serby. Ah. <laughs> uh. Uh, so how far is it from uh, Portland? So it's about, I'd say, and I think it says like an hour and 45 minute drive. Um, oh, that's a, that's a bit of a drive. It's not next door. Yeah, that's why, I mean, a lot of people I know, um, at least I saw this summer, like people road trip all the way from New York. And, and I had done that on my previous trips to Maine. I had driven up to Kennebunkport and then got up to Portland. But I decided for this trip, it was best to just get up, fly up to Portland and then drive because I still did a fair amount of driving. Yeah, that's a lot of driving. Yeah, but it's a nice, she's right on Main Street, which is like the main, the like one of the, the it's like the highway up there. It's a one lane or two lane highway. Um but uh, it's it's a nice drive. Um, yeah, so it's I think it's worth. It's beautiful up there, and I think what she's created is really special. Um, and yeah, and good for her for growing into. Just yes, amazing. <laughs> really, it's cool. amazing. Yeah, amazing, amazing indeed. Okay, so it's time for the final question. So. My next guest is Daniel Ballou, the chef and restaurateur of the Dynex Group, including his flagship, Danielle, and the newly opened Le Pavillon in New York City. And we're going to be recording the show actually from Le Pavillon, which I'm excited about. So, Serbi, can you please ask a question for Danielle? Uh, so my question was, I know that you've had so many accomplishments um, through the years and you truly are a legend, um, but more so I want to know if there was one achievement that has really stood out that you feel uh, like, or maybe a moment that just has stayed with you where you were like, oh my God, either it's like, it was either like, oh my God, I've arrived or, oh my God, like nothing could be better than this and what that would be. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I look forward to hearing how he answers that because he's he has accomplished a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he has. You have too, as you have too. <laughs> uh, yes, he has. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. I can't believe it's going to be my 300th episode, which... Wow, that's pretty amazing. Congratulations, Sherry. Thank you. Thank you. It's It's, it's just you keep, you know keep going. And, uh, what yes. do you know? What do you know? Yes. I got, got to 300. So thank you so much for joining thank me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank um, you. You're incredible. I can't wait to come down to the restaurant and try all your food. And, um, uh, I wish you much continued success and thank uh, you. See we'll you. see you soon. Thank you, Servi. Thank you. Bye. My guest today has been Serbi Sani. She's the chef and owner of Tagmo, which is a new restaurant in Manhattan Seaport District, featuring homestyle Indian cuisine and confections. Her website is tagmonyc.com. You can follow her at Sani Serbi and at Tagmo Treats. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Websites, BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. 
All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Armen, and thanks again to Serbi. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week for that 300th episode with Danielle Ballou. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.